Well, there was this young couple, and uh, they're a little strange. And they had, they went into the hospital to have their uh, first baby. And when the baby was born, it was a baby boy. The doctor uh, looked at him and they said, what is his name? What's his name going to be? And the parents said, odd. O-D-D. Odd. Well, the doctor started snickering, almost thinking it was a joke, but it was serious. The boy's name was Odd, so he went out in the hallway and, and he told the nurses and they were all laughing at his name. Well, the young, young man turned five years old and, and he went to school for the first time and, and you guessed it, everyone started making fun of him for his name. All through his life, his name kept being said and, and they kept mocking him. Finally, he, he was 58 years old, 58 and he, and he looked over at his wife and he said, I am sick of this. I am sick and tired of this. And, and he said, when I die, honey, I want you to put on my tombstone just the day I was born and the day that I died. She goes, okay, okay. Well, about 10 years later, he did. He died. And the wife ordered a beautiful, beautiful tombstone. And, and it was gorgeous. And, and, and on, this, on this tombstone, she put on there the date that he was born and the date that he died. But to this day, every time somebody walks past that tombstone, they know his name. They say, ah, isn't that odd? It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day to serve the Lord, isn't it? It is a gorgeous day to serve the Lord. And, and today, we're going to be talking about some odd people. And, and the entire book, uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews, is really about a lot of odd men and women. People who were put uh, to the task to accomplish things that were not ordinary, that were definitely weird. And remember the audience here that we're dealing with. The audience are people who, um, who've given their life to Jesus Christ somewhat recently. They, they've uh, devoted their life to, to Christ, uh, but uh, these people were devoted Jews. They understood how to follow the law well. They understood how to, how, how to uh, cross their T's and dot their I's uh, right as they were supposed to do. But this whole new life to them, uh, of, of living on faith, well, it was odd. It was odd. It was something different. Hebrews chapter 4, I, I like what the author says. We don't know uh, who the author was. Uh, he or she, uh, right in the book, uh, probably was uh, heavily connected with the apostles. Uh, but, but, the author wanted to remind these devoted Jews that, uh, remember, these devoted Jews, they love to follow the Torah, they love to follow the law, and, and he wanted to remind them the necessity to rest in the knowledge of, of the real high priest. That, that's, that's what this book was, was for, that, that they didn't have to do everything perfect. 
They didn't have to follow these rules perfect. They needed to live a life of faith, not because of what they have done, but the grace that was given out of mercy. Hebrews 4, 14, on forward, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author wants all of his readers or her readers to rest in the King of Kings, to rest their faith, because our faith in the King of Kings is the ultimate goal. It's that enduring faith. Life is tough. Life is tough. It, there are times where, where things seem to be going great. But we have to understand that no matter how good or how bad things seem to be, we have grace. We, we, have, we have faith in our almighty God, and that is what the author is trying to say. Stop. You're gonna, there's all kinds of stuff going to happen in your life. There's going to be plundering and, and, and beatings and, and, and all kinds of things. But you have to have enduring faith in God Almighty. And that's what we got to say to ourselves. All the struggles that you have, all the, the arguments that you have, all the silliness that you have, all, all the sins that you've committed go right back to God and say, how do I have enduring faith in you, God? I need your help. I need your help in, in doing this. So in order to nail the point home with, with these uh, devoted Hebrews, these, these Israelites, these Jews, he gives them a whole bunch of, uh, a litany of people that they would know. People that they would remember their stories. But you know what? Probably as they grew up, as they learned about these people, as they read uh, through the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, as they read through these books, in their minds and in the way that they were being taught, it was their great works is what brought them to the saving grace of God. It was because of their works, not because of, of their faith. And, that, and that's, that's exactly what the author's trying to do. He's trying to say, no, no, no. It's their faith is why they are face-to-face -face with El Shaddai, with Yahweh. Why they get to see him in glory. They knew the names of Abel and Enoch, right? They understood these names. They, they weren't uh, new people, new introductions. Some of you may not may not have known about Abel or Enoch or know their stories. Well, we're going to talk about one guy uh, today, a barrack, that several of your pastors had to actually study pretty hard to understand about his life. I, I was in a great conversation with one of the campus pastors. He's like, hey, can you tell me all about Because I had, had been studying for a little while about him. I said, yeah, well, I, I, I got to tell you, I didn't know a lot about him until this. But these guys did. 
They understood these names. They were household names. That the whole point, again, is about faith. That these men did what they did, not because of great works. The great works came out of their enduring faith. Sometimes in spite of their works. It, it, scripture says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Same thing for Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. It's all done because of faith. Noah. We had a great time studying Noah and, and how his faith was what did it. They would have been looking at his building of the ark. Whoa, what a great man. He saved mankind through his great works. No. God saved mankind through Noah. Noah just had faith. That God's word was true. And he was obedient to God's word because of his faith. Because of his faith. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Noah could have built 17 arks. And it wouldn't have pleased God. If he didn't have faith in him. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many... Uh, boxes you get checked off without faith you're nothing that's where the power is at he wants your heart that's what god wants he wants your heart we always say that as parents right we want our children's heart that, and, and, and we know that they're not going to be obedient to everything that we say, but if we can have their heart, their love, we, we can really help mold them into dynamic men and women. But that's what God wants from us. No matter what our age, he wants our hearts. And you know what? Some of us, we all fail. Some of us just fail a lot more than others. But Christ is just looking at your faith in him. Not that, not that we are to, to, to veer off and, and do our own thing and serving other gods, if you will. But, but if you start throwing in all your stuff that, that you've done against God, it's going to be an awful big pile and, and you're not good enough to be with Jesus Christ, the unseen. You're not good enough for it. Nor am I at all. That's where we need faith in God, faith in the unseen. The author continues by sharing a lengthy narrative of Abraham and Sarah. People did some great works. People did some not-so-good works, too. But faith, faith in the things unseen, faith in the word of God, faith that continued until they died. You know, people of faith are odd. Verse 13 of, of Hebrews 11 says, 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were what? Strangers. That they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What in the world? That's why, that's why we're odd. Because we're not... People of faith are not of this earth. They're strangers. They're, they're uh, uh, exiles. They're aliens. That, that's what, what people are. Our home is in heaven. It's a place unseen, a place that we rest our hope in. That's why all these people did these wonderful works. Because they had faith in the Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. Their faith drove them to serve, to honor God, to help carry the message to the next generation. And when you have faith, you're given something that other people just don't have. Hope. Hope. And hope is a a powerful thing. The author tells of Moses' parents, you remember them, Amram and Jochebed, and, and, and they put, put great faith in, in, in the I am, the great I am, that, that he would spare their little baby boy. And Scripture says he wasn't odd, he was beautiful. And they knew something special was going on about Moses. And Moses, through, through all of his flaws and all of his difficulties, endured in his faith, and was used in mighty ways by God. And God was once again victorious in the exodus of of the people. Again, it's God who gets the glory. God who's raised up in this. Matthew 19, 26 says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible. The author then goes into snippets about uh, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, uh, tells of these patriarchs, and, and the audience, the people reading it, they totally understood the lives of these men. They totally understood the, all the stories. But what as you read, at least in the ESV, if, if you read Hebrews 11 and you start counting up 26 different times, the word faith shows up there. 26 different times. Because it's all about faith. That's the author wants to make sure they understand. It's about faith. It's about faith. Hebrews 10 teaches us that that we don't have to waver. We're going to make mistakes. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficult things. But we should draw near to God. Draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance. And, and, And our confidence doesn't have to remain in ourselves because that that's the problem is that sometimes we think that we can do we can get back on the path you you've thought that before i'm guessing like me okay i'm just going to read my bible a little bit more this week or you thought the opposite i haven't read my bible that's why i'm i'm such a sinner I'm, i'm i'm making so many mistakes either way You're saying stuff that you're going to do, the works that you're going to do. Instead, just stop and drop to your knees 
and say, I need help, God. I have to have help, and it's all because of you. It's because you have already done it. The blood of Jesus has already been shed. The grace has already been given. That's where you put your confidence. You put it in that tremendously. Maybe we should just stop right now. Because that's probably all that we need to say. Is that, and maybe some of you want me to. But, but that's, where, that's where it ends. Is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're about. That's why this group of people here are odd. You trust in Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. It's all about him. It's all about the grace that you're given. You know, I was thinking about uh, our friend Tony who's, who's here. You guys know Tony uh, Donovan who's been coming. And, and Tony's daughter just came home, Hannah. Uh, from Zimbabwe, and, and, and I, uh, some of you are uh, maybe on Tony's Facebook and stuff like that, and, and uh, I, I'm on their private uh, uh, Hannah in Zimbabwe Facebook page, and so I've been watching all of the stuff, and, and Tony was pretty excited. I think it was Thursday uh, when she came home, uh, 17, 18-year-old, she's been in Zim- Zimbabwe for several weeks. Tony was so excited. Great joy to see his daughter come home. You know, he loves Ashley as well, but, but to see his daughter who's been away, what pure joy. And I think to myself, you try to compare that with the love that Christ has for us, and it's no comparison. Tony's love is nothing for Hannah compared to Christ's love for us. Our love for our children is so deep. When you're a parent, you just start understanding that at a different level. And that is nothing compared to Christ's love for us. For his love for us, his his, his joy, his excitement. We better get going. Last week, Nick did a nice job reminding us about the tremendous faith that the people had uh, uh, as they walked silently around the wall. I actually spent way too much time restudying that this week because that's such an uh, unbelievable story. Sherry has a friend that that she calls annoyingly consistent because she just won't waver. She just, if she gets something in her head that she knows that she should do, uh, whether business or, or friendships or, or communication, she will do it over and over and over and over, and, and there is no wavering. These people weren't wavering in their faith. They just kept walking around this wall over and over and over and over and not speaking. How consistent can you be? And I understand it's only a week in, in, in time, but it's unbelievable to think about. They trusted in God, and it wasn't anything that they did because what they did didn't make sense. It was faith, faith in God. And then we see Rahab, and we talk about her, and, and, and 
how God uses a prostitute like that where she had that much faith that became huge, enduring faith that she should be put in the genealogy of God Almighty. You know, God doesn't do it the way you and I would do it, does he? Aren't we glad about that? Because we wouldn't design it this way. But God is perfect and sovereign. 400 plus years leading up to this, and he, he brings it to fruition. It's, it's, it's fun to look in the rearview mirror and to see what God, man, that's how you did it. That's how you weaved that story. That's how you made that happen. So finally, we've come to the point in Hebrews 11 where, where the author is going to start landing the plane. And, and he could, he's saying, man, I could write and write and write about this, but the point is, is have faith. Have faith. I know that there's great deeds that, that these men and women have accomplished. Great victories. But like with all their great people of faith, the author wants them to remember that it's about God, the faith in God. Yeah, these people, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and so on. But it's because these people had faith in God. So translation, God gets the credit. God is the one who is victorious. God is victorious. So that's the great thing about what we're reading today. It, it just solidifies that fact that God has, he can, he will be victorious uh, through his people of faith. No matter, no matter how big they are, no matter how small they are, no matter how uh, uh, chubby they are, how good-looking, how ugly, how odd, how smart, how uh, not so smart. No matter what we look like, no matter where we're from, no matter how we speak, no, no matter how bad we smell, God can use us. God will use us when we have faith in him. And that's a tremendous thing to be reminded. Because some of you think that, that God only uses the pastor. Or God only uses uh, men who are, and women who are popular and who have money and who have uh, some, some sort of pedestal uh, stoop to step on. But God uses the weak. He uses the strong, too. I think it's Pastor Dave who always tells about his uh, father-in-law. You know, the weakness that his father-in-law had, yet the absolute power that he obtained through the enduring faith in his Savior, Jesus Christ. I guess that's the question. Do we want to be powerful? Do we want absolute power? 
not for ourselves. But we can obtain unbelievable amount of power when we bow our knee to God. It's not power that we get. It's power that we're saying that God has. Power over our lives. We submit to him. That's a humble process to open your hands before a God Almighty and say, it's not about me. I know who I am. You know yourself. It's all about God. And the common thread of everybody that we talk about, everybody that is in this Hebrews 11, is faith. There's one common thread. It's faith in God. Enduring faith. I've said it probably 15 times already in this sermon. Enduring faith. Because you're going to have trouble, but you need to have enduring faith. Okay, here are our verses. Then we'll quickly go through these, uh, these points. Hebrews eleven thirty two through 35a. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Heavenly Father, just bless our time, our remaining time. May you be strengthened. May you be proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the author, he's just thrown more names of prophets and judges uh, at us. He's thrown scenarios. And initially, we got in the discussion as pastors, is there a reason? Because if you look at at judges, and you start studying the historical understanding of these people, it's not chronological. It, it doesn't go in, in order. Barak actually comes before Gideon, chronologically speaking. But, but we don't think that the author had any uh, real purpose, that the Holy Spirit actually put them in a different order uh, for, for any reason, other than just saying different men and women of, of faith. That he was, uh, the, that the author was bringing out. But there are many times when we look at these uh, these characters that were named, that w- there was just tremendous amount of uh, foolish acts. But because of their faith in God, God used them. That God used them in in mighty ways to bring glory upon Himself and and to continue to fulfill his purposes. We're going to look at the first two mentioned, Gideon and Barak, and both of these men, both of these men, uh, in fact, let me, let me in, let you in on a little secret. Okay, this is just between us, so don't tell anyone. But all of these men, all of these People, all of these points that we're going to get to, they all start with one specific word, faith. They all start with the word faith, because that is what the author is hammering home. Faith. That's why he's sharing this list. Faith. 
So, so the, two, the first two men, Gideon and Barak, both these men lack confidence, and that's our first point. God is victorious through faith found in those that lack confidence. You see that up there already. And I, some of you guys remember these stories of Gideon and Barak. Uh, they're out of order. Uh, we're going to keep them in that same order, Gideon and Barak. We're going to just briefly go through them uh, to understand a little bit, to understand uh, some, some of these uh, lack of, of confidence that these men had. Yet at the same time, you start seeing great courage and, and other things that are shown through their faith. We learn about Gideon, the judge and the prophet in Judges 6 through 8. Uh, and it's yet another story of, of how the Israelites, man, they're, they're at a good place, and then all of a sudden they start falling. We, we see that all the time, up and down, up and down, the, the need for somebody to come in and, and, and help, the calls to God. Please help us, help us, help us. And in this case, God calls Gideon into service. And Gideon, he was, he was definitely willing to serve, but he lacked confidence that he was actually hearing God correctly. And we do that. Ah, I, I don't know, God, if, if, if you're calling me to actually go to small group. We, we, uh, we Christianese a lot of things. There's a, a comedian, Allie, was, what's, it, what's his name, Allie? John Chris? Uh, and, and he does a lot of uh, funny things uh, that uh, he has funny videos about what Christians do. He's a, he's a devout Christian himself. And, and, uh, and, and some of those things is, is how we pray. He, he said, we, in, before you're a believer, you have, you have two ways of, of answering a question, yes or no. Once you become a believer, you get 17 new ones of ways to say no. Oh, you know what? The Spirit isn't leading me right now. And <laughs> yeah, you, let me lay out a fleece. <laughs> All different ones that he throws out. But we do that we, because we lack confidence in our understanding of, of God and knowing that God's will for our life is to just live a life full of faith in him. Knowing that we aren't going to uh, that we're going to constantly make poor decisions and, and lack uh, discernment, but we just keep going to God. Well, Gideon, he was, he was lacking confidence, and, and so he was having an exchange uh, with an angel. And, and this is right when Gideon was being called, uh, Judges 6, 12, and on it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to, to him, to Gideon, and he said to him, Lord, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, telling Gideon, Go in this might of yours, and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Gideon then replied, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He just lacking confidence just in who he was as a person, as a man, just seeing himself as, as a, a weak uh, household. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, 
If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. So now he's saying, okay, I'm going to go to battle. I don't know this is you, God. Show me something. Give me, a, give me an example. And remember, that's when uh, an offering is brought out on the rock and, and fire comes and, and it's consumed by the angel and, and, and Gideon gets all excited. Oh, it is God. It is God. I'm, I'm all excited. And, and, and so then the Lord says, you know what? Go to your father's. His father was serving um, many gods. And, and he said, go to your father's altar that he built for Baal. Go to it and rip it apart. And, and take a couple bowls and, and sacrifice a bowl on top of it. So that blood is, is definitely a slap in the face to the people that are worshiping the bowl or worshiping uh, Baal and, and the goddess uh, um, Asherah. And so he, he completely disgraces them, which this all gets everyone going. They're mad now. They're pretty ticked off. And, and, and uh, it would be great to go into a sermon about Gideon because, because it's, a, it's a wonderful story uh, to hear the faithfulness. So the people were outraged, the Midianites and the uh, Amalekites and the people of the East, they came together. In fact, Scripture says that there are so many people that came together that were so mad, so ticked off at Gideon, that they were like locusts on the land. And so, so then you guys probably know the story. God called, called Gideon to take out these people to absolutely destroy him, which he does. But in the end, God gets the victory. Because you guys remember that story, that 32,000 people came together, and there's 32,000 of them, and, and all these people are gathering with Gideon. And Gideon's like, oh my goodness. There's at least, Scripture teaches us, at least 135,000 Midianites. So 32,000 versus 135,000, they're going to get crushed. And then God goes, you know what, there's too many people here. Let, let, let's, let's weed them out. You know what, let's get rid of 22,000 men that have any fear at all. Those 22,000 go home. That was the way you actually see it in a lot of the battles in, in, in Scripture. You learn that if there was fear, go back home. You don't need to be in, in this battle. So there's 10,000 men now against 135,000 men. Totally fair, right? Well, God says, you still have too many. 10,000 is way too many. And so how they drink water uh, out of, uh, when they're getting a drink, that decides, and there's only 300 men, 9,700 get sent home. You didn't drink water correctly. So now Gideon has his great army of 300 men and so he's like, okay, okay, this is my men, and we're going to take on 135,000 men. This doesn't make sense. But that's the thing with God. We, we, you and I don't have confidence in God the way he has confidence in using us. Do you get that? It, it, it's kind of like sometimes you, you, put, you put a kid in a game, and you say, hey, Go after it, man. I trust you. And like, no, I, I, I can't. These guys are too good. Go after it. You just put some 
faith in them. You, you trust them. Well, God, he's got 300 men. He's going to take on 135,000 men. It doesn't make sense. And then he says, you don't need any weapons. What? How are we going to? You, you told me we're going to kill these 135,000 men. Yep, yep, no problem. If you read in there, scripture says that, that the, the 9,700 that left, left their lanterns, their torches, and their trumpets. These guys love trumpets. You know, I actually thought of, of telling Tom to bring his trumpet to, to blow out on this. He has the 300 men surround the camp at about 2 in the morning. It's dark out, just during the shift change. When they're watching, most people are sleeping. A lot had just changed in shifts. And these 300 men surround in the complete dark, and they have their torches lit in jars and in one hand, and they have trumpets in the other hand. And all these men do is smash the glass that's covering the torches, and the torches are lit, and... And they just sound the horn, blowing the trumpets. That's all their weapons were. And the men, the Midianites, wake up and they slaughter themselves. Because they're scared. They don't know what's going on. They think they're under complete attack. In fact, 120,000 men die in a matter of minutes. Scripture teaches us. It's not the way you and I would, would have come up with that game plan. Using jars, glass jars and torches and trumpets to defeat these men. But God knew the perfect 300 people to use who weren't scared or weren't too scared. Maybe, maybe 10,000 really was too many to have around in the circle. This spread them out just perfect. God, God does things perfectly in spite of Gideon's uh, lack of confidence, in spite of uh, the, the amount of people he has. It's never, they're never outnumbered when you have God. God plus anything is enough. The problem is, is so many people don't want to have a plus God with them. Because they think they could do it on, them, on their own. Barak was the same way. Same way. You guys, maybe some of you guys don't know the story of Barak. I won't go into great detail. But Barak, he had some issues. He, he was called uh, by the prophetess Deborah. And, and she called Barak to come and defend the nation. Again, they're, they're fighting, and, and they, they were fighting the Canaanites, and, and there was a couple leaders that the Canaanites had, and, and they had like uh, 900, I think it is, 900 uh, iron chariots, and oh, man, they were good. And they were going to beat the Israelites. They were in, in uh, captivity maybe like 20 years. And, and he calls Barak, and Barak goes, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll fight. You have to come with me, Deborah. <laughs> and so he asked, the, asked the, the, the prophetess to come with him, and she goes, okay. But because you've requested this, you're not going to get any 
uh, honor of, of winning the victory. In fact, a woman is going to get the honor. And if you remember the story, Barak had 10,000 men, and, and, and these 10,000 men came with them, and somehow they got on the high ground, and, and, and they defeated. They killed all of them, literally slaughtered them all. But then the, the leaders kind of snuck away. Sisera, uh, Sisera, uh, and Sisera uh, sneaks away and, and he runs and he, and he, he was friends with this one group, a, a Hebrew uh, connection. And he goes and the, the lady welcomes him in, Jael, I think is her name. And, and she welcomes him in and, and says, come on in here, come on in here. Now, this is a safe place. And he, he sneaks in there and she puts a rug over the top of him and, and he goes, oh, I am dying of thirst. I'm so thirsty. Can you give me some water? And, and she goes, oh, I've got milk for you. She opens up the, the, the new thing of milk, and uh, I think she went to her fridge and, and, and got the milk, and, and, and he got tired. He was exhausted from, from escaping, from running. And while he's there sleeping, uh, she gets, uh, goes over to the corner. She, that's where she keeps her hardware. She grabs a tent peg quietly, scripture says, quietly walks over to him, puts the tent peg up by his temple, and smashes it down through his head into the ground. This is PG-13. She got the glory for defeating them, but she got the glory from men right there, but in the end, God got the glory. God's the one who designed all that. You know, Gideon, Gideon had 70 children, 7-0. Seven, 70. He had a lot of wives. He made a lot of foolish decisions. Barak, he lacked confidence, yet God used these men because of their faith in God, because of their trust in, in God Almighty. God gets the glory. You can read that story, by the way, in Judges 4.17. Next two, we'll look at them real quick. God is victorious through faith found in those that make foolish commitments. That's the second point. Foolish commitments. Samson and, and Jephthah. Samson is a, is a man of unbelievable strength. Absolutely unbelievable strength. Provided by God. Morally speaking, though, he was foolish way too often. Twenty years Samson served as a judge, set apart to God from his birth, actually. And his biggest foe were the Philistines. We see that frequently throughout the Old Testament. The Philistines keep coming up. Um, they were constant oppressors of the Israelites. Samson, he, he's just like no one else. Absolutely like no one else. The, the man literally ripped a lion in half. From the spirit of God's providing him strength, he ripped a lion in half. But over and over again, Samson broke the laws that he was committed to. From drinking uh, to uh, eating food that was unclean, uh, deceiving his parents, 
if I remember the story correct, uh, with the honey that, that was in the lion that he ripped apart and gave it to his parents that, were, that was unclean. Uh, he married a Philistine he was going after. But the, the beauty is, is that God uses all of those uh, foolish decisions for his glory. He, he needed a way. I, I believe it, it even says it in, in Judges that uh, God was looking for a way how to, um, uh, how to I don't know, uh, engage with the Philistines. And, and it was these foolish acts that, that engaged. You guys remember the story of, of Samson? Uh, um, he got married to the Philistine woman, and, and they had a seven-day celebration, and and, and Samson uh, said, okay, here's a riddle. He's drinking and he's having fun. And, and he goes, here's a riddle. If anyone can solve this riddle, I'll give him 30 things of clothes and uh, linens and garments. And no one could solve his riddle day after day after day. But his wife said, hey, tell me the story. Because no one knew the answer. Tell me the answer. And she then, he does, he finally tells her on the last day and she tells her friends, the Philistines, the answer, and they come on the seventh day, and they, they say, here's the answer to your riddle. Well, Samson, out of his foolishness, gets angry, so he goes and kills 30 Philistine men and steals all of their belongings. He walks back, takes the belongings, gives it to the people who saw the riddle. Here you go. Oh, man, they were mad. They were mad. And so then he, he eventually goes back to his wife, I don't know, a month later, and he realizes that his father-in-law has now given his wife to his best man. I mean, this marriage is getting off right. And so the father-in-law is like, oh, no, you want my younger daughter who's more beautiful anyway. And so he's mad. So what does he do? You guys remember the story? He, he captures Fox, 300 of them. Is that right? 300 Fox. And he ties their tails together with torches in between, and he sends them off, lit torches, with all these Fox through the wheat fields of the Philistines. You want to tick, tick somebody off, that's one way to do it. How did he catch the Fox? That's what I want to know. Through the Spirit of God, somehow. And so then they burn up his wife and his father-in-law in a home. Story after story of Samson making these mistakes, making foolish commitments, and yet God used him somehow. But, but I thought of this. Allie and I had great, some great spiritual talks yesterday, went to Great America. Uh, she had numerous questions. Uh, that she had written in her Bible, and so we, we spent a lot of time talking about this. But we were talking about sin and how God sees sin as sin. But I also said that there is a different level. Sin does have different levels because there's, there's sins that kind of don't affect a lot of people. It's still you broke uh, your, your love with God and, and you deserve uh, eternal damnation, but... There are some sins that really affect relationships and really have uh, ripple effects. Samson's ripple effects of all of his sins caused him uh, to, 
to lose his wife, caused him to, to lose his eyes, and really caused his life to be shortened a lot. If Samson was a devoted man in, in his faithfulness to God, he was a faithful man, but if he was fully devoted to God, uh, his life probably would have been extended a lot more. Our decisions in faith really have a major effect. And then you see that with Jephthah. We're going to zoom through these. Uh, he vowed to sacrifice. He said, God, God, if, if you let me win this impossible war, I promise whatever walks out my door, when I get back, I will sacrifice to you. Think of that. What a foolish commitment. He didn't need to do that. God didn't need his commitment of sacrifice. God needed him to just humble himself before him and say, it's all about you, God. Yet he made a, a, a foolish commitment. And so he won the war. And, and, and then when, when, when he comes home, Jephthah, he came home and, and, and he's expecting an animal to run out of the door ahead of whoever else was walking out. But no animal walks out. Instead, it's his only daughter. His only daughter walks out that door. Jephthah made a, a vow to God that he would sacrifice whatever came out that door to welcome him back from his victory. The daughter asked for two months uh, to grieve. She came home after two months and and he sacrificed his daughter. That stuff doesn't make sense, does it? it all of those stuff, all of those things, all, all everything that I studied over these last few weeks, it just doesn't make sense. But then when you start just looking at, at who God is, God is much bigger than what our minds can handle. His infinite wisdom is so much stronger. His sovereignty is perfect. But in the midst of all that, we have weak, sinful men and women like you guys and like me and like these guys. We also see that God is victorious through faith found in those that lead with courage. Lead with courage. And we could do an entire sermon series on David, another foe of the Philistines. Even as a young man, he showed tremendous courage when he fought the giant. You guys know that. Or Samuel, the great prophet. From before his birth, Samuel was dedicated to God. Samuel also led a defeat against the Philistines. Uh, he was the last of the prophets before uh, the institution of kings that God allowed and so uh, we started with Saul, and Samuel was part of that process, and, and he showed great courage as he, uh, as he was resting in, in his faith of Yahweh. Samuel showed courage, remember, early on with Eli, telling Eli of, of the, Eli's future, what it held. That took great courage of a, of a young mentee to be able to tell that to his mentor. And he showed courage as he led the people, as, as he actually uh, anointed Saul. And then when he, when he uh, uh, told Saul, you are no longer going to be the king, 
and he anointed a young man named David. All of those things took great courage. Samuel really is the epitome of someone who knows that our God alone should receive the glory. Our God alone is, should receive the glory and honor for all things. And we see that courage in, in so many of the prophets throughout, uh, throughout uh, uh, the Old Testament. The Hebrews author alludes to that. And lastly, uh, we also see God is victorious through faith found in those that lost children. Some of this uh, rings home to, to some of you, maybe, who have lost children. Elijah and Elisha, both of them, men of God, were called to resurrect uh, a couple young men at different times. The women cried out to God, please help me, went to the man of God and asked for them, uh, to somehow help them in their time of need. And, and, and God raised them back to life. Powerful stories that these people will remember, but the focus again is on faith. The Hebrews, they, they knew these great stories. They knew about Samuel, and they knew about Gideon. They knew about the Shumanite woman that had her ch child raised from the dead by Elisha. But the point was have faith. Have faith. Not faith that says that God will work out the details exactly the way we want to have it work out. But faith that God will work out the details the way he has designed. Because he is a sovereign God. Have faith in it. Faith in the unseen. And then no matter who we are, no matter who we are, this is the last point, no matter where we're from, no matter... What has happened in our lives, our faith can and is perfected in Christ. It's perfected in Christ. Twelfth chapter of Hebrews, second verse, just jumping ahead a little bit. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm not going to go into great detail. We're going to dig into verses 1 and 2 on September 9th. It'll be the last sermon of our sermon series. But I, I need to say this. Our faith, our faith, which, friends, is, is oftentimes much weaker than what we even realize. Our faith is made perfect through the blood of Jesus. That's how our faith is made perfect. And our faith, I, I mentioned this earlier, is absolutely useless unless it's focused on the throne room of God where our Savior resides. Our faith is nothing unless we have a focus on the one who endured the cross. He's the perfecter of our faith. He takes those that lack confidence, that make foolish decisions, that seemingly lead with great courage. That He takes those that weep aloud to him. And he takes them and uses them to bring glory, not unto us, but unto himself. And that's got to be our goal in this short life that we live here. 
That's got to be our goal. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of him. Praise to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 